Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. Cast. My name is Dimitri Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Chad Dedeminis. Is Chad? What's going on, man? Hey, man. How are you once again? I'm good. I'm good. We're uh, we're doing a little change of pace. I feel like I've been so preoccupied with uh, you know the postseason and, and watching all these games and breaking down the X's and O's of them, and we're kind of doing a more of a an off season show here in the midst of it. But I guess for for you, you've uh, you're you it's you're used to this obviously on an annual basis now having covered the sabers for this long but also uh you've been kind of deep in it for weeks now with uh with offseason stuff yeah it's just every day you wake up and think of new technical trade ideas that's what we do around here in buffalo until it actually happens well that's what we're doing here in the pdo cast too <laughs> so um uh that's the plan so we'll, initially we we're going to save this one for the offseason but I figure with the amount of smoke that's out there right now, we decided to just sort of fast track it and do it now while we still can. And hopefully right. it can serve as kind of a, a trade primer to prep people. And then whenever the trade does happen, we can, we can reconvene and do an emergency uh, reaction podcast, but I thought it'd be fun to bounce around some ideas. So the plan for today's show is we're going to do everything we can to prepare people for that Jack Eichel trade from what the Sabres should be targeting and what they could reasonably expect to get to who's interested, what the market's like, what the best fits are, um, what those teams are getting from Jack Eichel himself. So we were bouncing around some ideas and I thought that the best way to start this would be kind of doing sort of a backstory in terms of how we got to this place in terms of setting the scene by like where things went wrong for both Eichel and the Sabres, how it devolved to a point where it seems, uh, you know, like a matter of time before he gets traded. It seems unfathomable to imagine him ever playing again in a Sabres uniform. And, um, it's, it's, I guess it's surreal in the sense that it escalated very quickly, but also it's not like it came out of nowhere because this has been something that it feels like it's been percolating for a a couple of years now, at least. Yeah. It's, um, it's really where to begin. I I mean, I I think, you know, if you want to go all the way back, I, I think this whole process started, um, I mean, not be melodramatic, but, you know, the day that they traded Ryan O'Reilly. I think that's kind of what started this entire process. Um, you know, and I think it got kicked into high gear last year. Um, when Michael had his comments about, you know, being frustrated and wanting to win. He's been here for so long. And then, you know, they fired the general manager on another change. And then they, you know, the coach that he liked, at least he liked to start the season ends up getting fired. So you know, there's a lot there in the recent history, but I think it really goes back um, to that O'Reilly trade. You know, that, that that's kind of, you know, for all the rumors that those two get along, that was completely false. You know, O'Reilly and Eichler are pretty close still to this day. Um, so, you know, he sees one of his best friends leave the team. Um, they get a poor return out of it. Uh, he goes and wins the Stanley Cup the next year. And, and then if you want it, um, you know, one of his best friends on the team, Zach Bogosian, leaves the team last year goes to Tampa Bay, wins the Stanley Cup. So, you know, he's watching two of his close friends in the league leave this team, go somewhere else, and instantly win. So two he, equally good hockey players, Zach Bogosian yes. and Ryan O'Reilly. <laughs> right, right. Different scenarios, different, you know, situations, but <laughs> right. still nonetheless. Yeah. You see two of your close friends leave and win, you're like, oh, wait a minute, what's what's kind of, you know, maybe, maybe I really do need to get out of here quicker than I thought, because I think at the end of the day, um, Ike on his side and his agent, you know, wanted to wait for a movement clause kicked in next year. Um, you know, but the injury fast tracked it. And I, I think to an extent too, the Sabres aren't blameless in this, in the sense that 
although Eichel wants out the door, I think we've been naive to sit here and think that the Sabres, at least under Kevin Adams, kind of themselves aren't ready to kind of go in a new direction here. Yeah, I mean, there's so many ways to take this. When when thinking about um, the Jack Eichel era in Buffalo, it, it spans six years, I guess, if you want to include this most recent one, which was obviously very abbreviated. But yeah. um, I've got some stats for you over that time, which I'm, I'm sure you're all uh, readily aware of already, but just to kind of help contextualize the past six years, uh, 171 wins for the Sabres in 453 games, to put that into some perspective. <laughs> Vegas has two more wins than that. And they didn't even exist for the first two years of Jack Eichel's career. Um, they've gone through four head coaches, I guess, technically, technically he didn't play any games while Don Granado was the head coach this season. Cause he had already been out by that point. But over these past six years, you could say they've had four different head coaches with him on the ice at five on five. They have a minus 23 goal differential in 5,700 minutes, which you know, obviously isn't great, but when you look at it compared to the fact that when he's been off the ice in these six years in five on five minutes, minus 176 <laughs> goal differential in 16,500 <laughs> minutes, which includes a 1.8 goals, four per 60, which is horrendously bad, obviously, and, um, speaks to the issue. And I think that's, you know, when you're trying to kind of assign blame or where things went wrong or why, these six years have uh, been such a mess. Obviously no one is blameless. There's certainly a- enough blame to go around, but I-, I always think back to, you know, how they got Eichel in the first place in terms of embracing uh, a full tear down and, and real sort of mm-hmm. openly tanking the way we've never really seen an NHL before for those two years. And it worked out in the sense that they got two second overall picks in Sam Reinhardt and Jack Eichel who have been their two best players. So in, in that sense, it did work out, but also, at the same time, they brought these guys in with uh, real no, really no infrastructure to speak of in terms of putting them in a position to succeed and having complementary talent around them that fit the timelines to grow and actually create a good contending team there. And so that's kind of the issue for me where it's like, yeah, on the one hand, when you're making $10 million per season and you want to be considered one of the best handful of centers in the league, which he certainly played up to that standard uh, the last time we saw him fully healthy in 2019-20, you should be able to be on a winning team. But on the other hand, it's really difficult to look at the situation that's been around him and say, all right, well, this proves that Jack Eichel can't win because the Sabres team didn't win because it was just such a mess around him. Right. Yeah. I mean, mean, that's really... That's really the crux of it. I mean, you know, there's people, there's always been the tank versus anti-tank debate here that seems to never go away. Maybe when Michael is traded, it finally will go away because in 2021, we were still having the debate, but you know, people will say who were against the tank that see it didn't work all along. Really, that's not true. Um, it, it was actually very successful in the goal of getting, like you mentioned, Reinhardt and Eichel, but just everything else after that failed miserably. Multiple GMs, multiple coaches, um, you know, and, and the one constant of ownership. Um, all carry blame in that. They never put a team around them. Um, you know, th- there's always flaws with this team. There was always something. They couldn't get out of their own way. And, and I think from day one, they, they kind of set this up um, just poorly. You know, like you said, bringing them in here, I just didn't think they didn't have the infrastructure. I mean, when you had a guy, you know, grow up, you know, around, you know, uh, Evander Kane was one of the guys he leaned on. And that's, and I'm not trying to take a shot at Evander Kane or anything, but I mean, that's, you know, not a guy known for his great leadership in the room and kind of somebody you want your franchise player to grow up and lean on. You know, I think they didn't have those leaders in the room early. Um, you know, they had Brian Jansen there, but you know, those only for well, one season. They just didn't so. have enough good players. And that that too. Yeah. It's like, it's not a culture. I mean, yeah, you can say culture or whatever. I, I think it's, they just didn't like, if you look at those rosters, like they had some good players. Terrible. But, it's not 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 nearly good enough. It was and, never depth. They, yeah. they they always had that top heavy. That's what they always were. You know, they had they had Skinner. It's top heavy. They have that one line. Uh, going Reinhardt. You know, <laughs> that might be the most frustrating thing in the world is all this time. Well, a lot of us, including myself, were just saying to split up Eichel and Reinhardt. They always had to play together. And then we saw what like, what Reinhardt can do playing center away from Eichel. And all this time, your answer to your number two center was right there when O'Reilly wasn't on the team. Like it, the answer was right there. It makes it more frustrating. And now that we know Ryan can play the position, he might be traded. 
it's just it's just like I said, the, the the whole thing is this team can just never get out of its own way off the ice on the ice. They always just find ways to step in it. And that's where they are find themselves now in this offseason. I've given a lot of thought to the idea of like whether over these six years they've done right by him in the sense of of putting him into that position to succeed in terms of like surrounding him with enough players to at least give give him a chance. And on the one hand, I feel like they did make an effort to do so because just at least in terms of like the resources they've committed to it over the years where they went out and they, they threw $42 million at Kalik Pozo in free agency. Mm-hmm. I think after Eichel's first season, um, yep. they gave, you know, they traded for Jeff Skinner. He scored 40 goals playing next to him. They gave him 72 million. Uh, as you alluded to earlier, they wanted, they kept for whatever reason, Reinhardt glued to him on his wing instead of just bumping him back and giving him a second center. So they had more depth. And so teams couldn't just key in on that one line. They, you know, invested a high pick. You want to say, and Alex Nylander, like they like were always in this pursuit of getting wingers that could play with them and, and that could be top line guys. And so that that's to say, I guess that it's not like they were necessarily like sitting on their hands and not trying to surround him with talent. It just seems like every step of the way, sort of uh, from a process perspective, it was kind of misguided and clearly uh, the way like, you know, they ran their business and allocated the resources wasn't optimal. Yeah. I mean, look at the Taylor Hall signing that video, that now infamous video with Terry Pagula talking about after they, you know, if we get Taylor Hall, we're, the shows were competing for Stanley cup now. Like, dude, what? Like, but it, 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 that was the mindset though is, Oh, we got Jeff Skinner. We're going to be good now. Oh, we got Kyle Posa. We'll be good. Now we got Taylor Hall. We'll be good now. Like, okay. Yeah. But you're still a, a, a top line team. You, you just, you, forgot about the rest of your roster and that gets into the drafting of Nylander ending up poorly, you know, middle stack, you know, not really hitting kind of his ceiling. I mean, I know he turned it around this year, but just so much. Yeah. You got the guy to play with Eichel. It was always find the guy to play with Eichel, but they forgot about everything else. And not to mention, you know, you had Ristolina out here all these years who him and himself drags out a team. You never have consistent goaltending along the way. So yeah, in a sense that yeah, I mean they went out and got a Vander Kane too a while ago, and they got O'Reilly when Michael first got there. So they went out and got these. They always got the big guys. They just forgot about everything else. And for teams, it made it easy. Be okay, we'll just shut down the top line, and then you know you read the stats off when Eichel's out on the ice, we'll just crush this team. And you know in hockey that makes a difference because Eichel only plays you know less than a quarter of the game, if you will, so a third of yep. the game. So yep. like you know it, <laughs> just you're dominated the rest of the time. Yeah, to be clear, they got a lot of the big guys. There's only one true big guy in Buffalo, and it's Rasmus Ristolainen. But uh, <laughs> so, I guess the the next sort of um, part of this conversation is what um, any team that is interested in Eichel, and and we're gonna list off the ones that are, and and many should be at least doing their due diligence here. What you're getting from at this point, right? Because I think it's fair to say that you can just throw away this past season um you know clearly wasn't remotely healthy to begin with out of the gate was playing through injuries uh obviously she, like, shot 3.3 percent the team was just mired in this dreadful run i don't think there's necessarily anything insightful to learn from it now i guess the one caveat to be to that would be you know the reason why it feels like this has escalated between these two parties has been uh which has obviously been m- much reported the uh, disagreement of opinion in terms of how to proceed with his recovery and injury treatment and how big of an issue that's going to be moving forward. And I think for any team that is thinking about investing serious resources into acquiring them, that's a, that's a real concern because it feels like if you do acquire them, you're going to want to appease him in terms of letting him get the surgery that he wants to get. And then at that point, when are you even getting this theoretical version of Jack Eichel, the difference maker into your lineup to help you win yeah. And if you're acquiring him, obviously it's a big picture of you in the sense that he still has years left on his deal. And you're not, it's not like a, you know, one year thing and he's going to be a free agent and you're just trying to win a cup this coming year, but you want to have something to show for all of those assets you're going to invest into him right out of the gate. Yeah. I mean, that's, that really is the tricky part of all this is the neck injury. It's, you know, it, it's what's the same time you have to figure out what's like end game too. Um, does he want to do a surgery? He plays for the Buffalo Sabres. Um, does his opinion change of what happens if he plays for the Anaheim Ducks? Mm-hmm. Is the, Get some of that California sun. 
right. Yeah. I'll look at my neck's better now. I don't need surgery anymore. You know, that, that kind of thing is, is the neck injury, which is something that I don't, you know, I don't want to put it in Jack that he's just making excuses and just to get out of town, but uh, he legitimately has a neck injury, but I, I wonder how much he's leaning into that to kind of push himself the rest of the way out the door, kind of to, in a sense, force a trade without literally asking to be traded. Um, so I, I kind of wonder, you know, if he's moved, um, if his view on treatment changes and maybe he's moved to a team that does let him get the surgery and, you know, that's fine and dandy and you know, best luck to that team that, that lets him do that. But yeah, that that's the complication right now. I think the Sabres are going to run into, they'll definitely have their suitors. Um, it's just who's willing to give up what with that neck uncertainty out there. Well, I was thinking, I'm curious how you think about this because initially I was thinking, you know, it, the, the impetus that the trade and sort of the motivation um, makes sense for the Sabres in, in regards to the fact that, you know, his new mo- no move clause kicks in next summer. Yeah. He's also going to be owed, I believe a $7.5 million signing bonus next summer as well. Yep. And, uh, and we know that the Sabres uh, based on their past dealings would probably like to make this trade before that. And they don't want to keep this circus going into next season. So I was thinking, Oh, you know, that kind of, removes some of their leverage because teams know that they're pretty desperate to, to, to make the best move they can here now, but not necessarily wait this thing out. But then I had someone uh, in the league bring up the sort of glass half full view, I guess, um, from a different lens that in that, you know, if you're a team like the ducks who might not necessarily, um, be a team that Jack Eichel would be at the top of his list. That is the number one destination for him. This is your chance to get him because come next summer, once he does get full control over where he says he can play, you might not necessarily be uh, a top landing spot for him. And so it gives you this kind of window to, to make this move now, if you're the duck. So maybe that does give the Sabres some more leverage with regards to expanding the number of teams they can actually deal with. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely correct. I think that that's the right way to look at it. You know, it's, if he's still here, um, next July 1st, next year. I mean, if he can then ask for a trade and kick his feet up and say, New York, Boston, LA, have fun. That's the only place I'll wave to. And so, yeah, I mean, for teams like Anaheim, Minnesota, Columbus, um, you know, that want to, and any other team that wants to get in on this, um, this is it. This is, this is your opportunity. So in a sense, you know, there's a running clock for both sides, but the, you know, but the clock means more, I think for the team trying to get in on this. Um, in a sense, because I guess you could say it goes both ways because the clock run out in the Sabres too, and then you get less of a return because he's dictating where he goes right. and teams know they have you over a barrel. Um, so really Adams has to play this smartly. Um, you know, I, I think he, to start, it looks like he's done the right thing and he has zeroed in on a couple just desperate GMs, in particular Bob Murray and Anaheim, mm-hmm. um, which is a smart play. So not only get a team that knows that they're not going to be on the list if he gets the next summer, but also a general manager that knows his time is wearing thin. He's on, you know, thin ice, if you will, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, to make a trade and to put a winner on the ice. So I think he's at least what it seems like he's done a good job, you know, attacking those general managers. And you could even say um, Columbus is another situation like that. I guess part of the tricky thing for me beyond just the, the um, injury diagnosis or in terms of like what you're going to get from that moving forward is trying to really hammer down what you're getting in terms of like a true talent contributor for yeah. Michael, right? Because obviously a fantastic player, um, but, and you have him for what his age, 29, 25 through 29 seasons at 10 million per, which yeah. would theoretically, I mean, you know, we, we can argue about the semantics of whether maybe he's already had his most productive seasons at age 22 to 24, or whether that's still to come for the rest of his twenties, but it's certainly not prohibitive where you're worrying about paying him 10 million into his thirties. Like these are the years that you want an impact player for, but, you know, I, th- I think I, well, the first time we did a show, we discussed sort of this interesting statistical profile of his where he shoots 9.7% on his first thousand or so shots through his first four seasons. And he's kind of more of a volume shooter. And that's fine because he's very productive. He draws a ton of penalties. He generates a ton of shots and, and scoring chances. And he's obviously creating a lot for everyone around him. But then in 2019, 20, he all of a sudden bumps up to an above average shooter where he's shooting almost 16%. He scores 
36 goals in 68 games. He takes his game to an entirely different level in terms of, uh, you know, his offensive production. And that might be the outlier here in the grand scheme of things, but it was always weird and tough to kind of reconcile that a player of his skill level and pedigree would just be a sub 10% shooter for the rest of his career. So it's kind of trying to figure out what you're going to get in that regard is also, I think a very important question for any team that's acquiring him. Yeah. And and I think, I think the thing too about Jack that I think is interesting when I was a player is I think he adjusts to who he's playing with Um, in in the sense that when he played with Skinner, he knew who his linemates was and he, he became that. Yeah. Like we said, that volume shooter and he was shooting more farther out and kind of shooting for rebounds because Skinner was that finisher around the net. Now, when the next season came along in 2019-20, when he didn't have Skinner and, you know, he was being relied upon more as a shooter, then sure, he turned that part of his game up. So really, I think it's, and it's one of the things that make him a, you know, a dynamic and an interesting player to have on your team is, you know, he can adjust his style to his linemates or his team. Um, you know, he has the ability to take over a game and be, okay, I'll become the shooter now where there's more situations where it kind of gets frustrating at times where he will overpass trying to be the playmaker, will it be the power player five on five? So I think that's unique about him is he has the ability to change his game and be successful doing multiple things, depending on who his linemates are in the team he plays for and what he's asked to do. Um, but yeah, at the same time, you know, it does add some, I want to say confusion to it, but does add some, you know, questions for the team acquiring him is, you know, what's a player am I going to get? Am I going to get, am I getting the playmaker or am I going to get the shooter? Am I going to get the guy who scored 36 goals? Or am I going to get the guy who scored 25, but had 40, 50 assists? So, you know, that that's the kind of thing they have to break down at the end of the day. I don't think it should matter because his offensive impacts doing both things are so good that at the end of the day, I don't think it really matters whether he's shooting it or he's having somebody else shoot the puck in. Cause either way it's going in the net when he's on the ice. Um, but yeah, I could see some general managers definitely, you know, having some questions about what yeah. they're really getting. No, I think, I think it's, it's a fair conversation because you're getting a good player regardless, but just in terms of trying to map out how to get the most out of him or what players you want to surround him with, or whether he makes the most sense given the personnel you have, right. I think it's important, especially given the acquisition costs and, and his salary. And uh, yeah. So, okay. So let's, let's spin this then from the Sabres perspective, because I'm interested in the strategy from their end when it comes to how you approach this in terms of, you know, what you're trying to accomplish, what you're, what kind of assets you're specifically looking for. And we've already heard some news. Uh, I think it was Elliot Friedman on a radio hit where he was talking about how, you know, they seem to, uh, to value this coming draft more than other teams around the league and feel like they can get in a pe- competitive edge there. And maybe, um, you know, they're already putting that out there because they feel like they're going to get another, top pick in this draft, obviously. Yeah. And, and so I, I'm, I'm torn about that, right? Because I certainly <laughs> uh, am willing to consider that even though everyone considers this to be a relatively weak draft in the grand scheme of things, there's so much unknown. I I'm sure that there's going to be a bunch of really, really high end impact players that come from this draft. I think part of the uncertainty comes from wondering who they're going to be and where they're going to be picked. And, and that's kind of the, the precarious position, but I'm sure the talent is in there. Uh, but I'm not very confident that they are equipped to figure that out in terms of who that talent is and who they should acquire. It's a bit easier with the first overall pick, but if they're getting another top five pick or so it, it's, it's weird because uh, I'm, I'm sure you also read that um, piece by, by um, I'm sorry if I, butchering his name here, Lance Lasowski, I think at, at, yeah. um, at Buffalo news and it painted a pretty grim image of, of, you know, this time last year when they made their yeah. organizational changes. And certainly they, uh, it's no secret that they cut down pretty significantly in their scouting staff. And I thought they really made a mess of that eighth overall pick by taking Jack Quinn instead of a bunch of players that I would have preferred instead, whether it was Anton Mondell or Seth Jarvis, even, or Marco Rossi, obviously. Yeah. And so, um, I just, I just think it's, they haven't really given us any reason to feel confident that approaching this trade as, all right, let's, we want draft picks for this year, even a high end ones, because we feel like that's where we're going to be able to get our difference makers. And we view those as premium assets. I just don't really have a lot of confidence that they're going to be able to turn those into the legitimate high, high end assets that you need to justify trading Jack Eichel for. Yeah. It, it, you know, 
I mean, not to mention <laughs> they have one of the smallest scouting staffs in the league. Um, still to this day, I mean, they've made some additions to it, but it's still relatively small. And, you know, that that's concerning for how much I think legwork goes into the season because you're relying a lot on video. You're relying a lot on um, numbers, if you will. And again, they have an analytics department of one, two, I guess now, if you want to count Carmano's. Um, so, you know, th- there's that aspect of it too, if you're going to rely on, on the data standpoint, because there's just so much that this draft is uncommon. And if you're going to go ahead and spin it to me that, well, we think we can take advantage of this draft. Well, I mean, you better be sure because you have a small group and there's a lot of players that didn't play or played in weird leagues that rely on video and you better make sure your data is right. And you told me last year that you relied on data and some video scouting and you walked away with Jack Quinn over Marco Rossi and Anton Lundell. So your first test didn't go so well. So, I mean, you know, and then now there's the, there's the turnover too. So Jeremiah Crow kind of, in a sense, ran that draft last year. Well, now Jeremiah Crow flips over to the pro side and Jerry Fortin is now running the amateur side. And then you still have Jason Nightingale, who's the director of analytics and also the assistant amateur director of amateur scouting. So, you know, there's, there's that transition that's also going on here. And then now Carmanos is in the picture. So, you know, it's just a lot of changeover and a lot going on when you you should be focused on, if you're really going to hit on this draft, you really need to be focused on it and you really need to be in depth and in the details and, and really be confident about your picks and just all of this turnover, all of this change kind of concerns me to the point you're making that you don't know how much you can reliably trust on them. Now, if you have pick one and three, right. That's pretty hard to mess up. But if you have pick one in 10, 11, then that 11 pick can kind of, yeah, don't, don't mess that up. You know? So it's, it's definitely worth questions because this route last year, at least was the first pick. Um, definitely didn't pass the test. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites, looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Recognize employees with Custom Inc. Show customer appreciation with Custom Inc. Outfit your teams with Custom Inc. Easily add your logo to your favorite products and brands at custominc.com. Make Custom Inc. your custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing, along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. All backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Do it all today at custominc.com. Yeah, I think above all else, you have to be identifying quality coming back, right? Like I, I, I you need some sort of a premium asset, whether, you know, if it's with the Ducks, a third overall pick, or, or if you want to lump that in there, but it like, you cannot afford another scenario where you're getting like four or five, six pieces back, but none of them actually amount to right. anything. And I think for me that that's whenever I'm trying to visualize any of these packages or sort of what you'd be targeting, I always lean towards, I, yeah. I'll take fewer assets in this regard, but make sure they're, they're high quality ones as opposed to just trying to get a bunch of late picks or something Absolutely. like that. I wonder how much you think the, cause obviously, uh, you know, Kevin Adams is relatively new. And so he doesn't necessarily bear the brunt of this, but I think from like a fan base perspective, and I guess from the ownership perspective, there is on the one hand, you could view trading Jack Eichel here as kind of like a reset button or a fresh start, right? Because you're like, okay, we're gonna get rid of this guy who's been our star player for the past handful of years and makes the most money in our team. We're gonna 
get either a bunch of draft picks back or young prospects or players. And we're going to sell you on this kind of future hope. And a couple of years down the road, we're going to try to get this thing going again. But it's impossible, I think, to get that fresh start if you're the Sabres, because there is this organizational baggage of the past kind of decade of despair that's just looming over all of this, where it feels like after everything they went through to get Eichel in the first place, like it's not just your conventional, oh, we're just going to trade away our best player because you know, that's the right route to go. I think there needs to be a very clear kind of identifiable plan of, okay, what's going to happen after that beyond just this trade to make it all kind of make sense and to make people feel like it's not just going to be another six years now of kind of the same thing all over again. Yeah. And I think it's one of the things Kevin Adams to this point hasn't really done. Now we might get a sense of what direction is going down with the return of the Eichel trade, but we don't know, you know, that that's a lot of the conversation is, is it a full rebuild? Is this going to try to be a quick reload where you're going to trade Eichel and try to convince Meyer to sign long-term and then get these new pieces and, and try to get running again here quickly? Or are you going to trade Risto, Eichel, and Reinhardt and start over and then rely on Cousins and Middlestad and these guys you get back and these top picks to kind of, in a sense, do this all over again? And it's, we don't know. And, and I think that's going to be tough selling to the fan base if you're going through a full reload, full, a full restart, I mean, um, and starting from the bottom. I mean, they're already at the bottom, but in a sense, starting all over again. And, right. you know, this market, you know, is a great hockey market, but if you look at some of the numbers from last season, it, it should be alarming to them. Um, you know, the TV ratings were down, I believe, 35% in this local market alone. That is scary. And then they also, when they were able to have fans in their building, they couldn't sell out tickets. And that was like just 1,200 fans, 2,000 fans. They only had a few games with fans in the seats because they couldn't have any more because they couldn't sell tickets to the game. People weren't buying them and going. And that's at 2,000. The manager only have full capacity of trying to get 16,000 people in there. I mean, if they don't set a plan, don't get people to buy in, I mean, you're you're going to be looking at some bleak, bleak pictures of that arena next year. I mean, you're going to be looking at, like, you know, sorry to pick on Florida, but you're going to be looking at situations like we see in Florida when you're going to have seven, 8,000 fans in there because people just aren't doing it anymore. People are not buying in. They're not taking, you know, the selling pitch anymore. And just, they're just fed up. And it's going to hurt the owner's pocket next year, especially for a league and probably a team that needs to sell tickets to kind of win back some of that money. Right. That they lost from COVID, it, it, it's a really rough situation. Good, good. I don't, I don't, I don't blame the fans at all. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't be burning my hard-earned money on whatever the hell that team this past season was either. Sure. So it's it's very justified, and and I think uh, I think Sabres fans are awesome. I, I enjoy interacting with them on Twitter, and I think they uh, they're as passionate as it gets. So they certainly Definitely deserve a passionate better group still. Yes. Um, all right. Well, let, let's get into, uh, I, I feel like we've kind of done a lot of the, uh, the heavy lifting here in terms of setting the scene. Now we can kind of get into the meat of this and, and actually discuss some of the, the teams that would be interested, the fits for Eichel there, and also what the, the Sabres would be targeting from them. So, uh, I know you've been, you've been doing this over the weeks on your website in terms of, uh, kind of working your way through the teams. So I, let's start with the ducks, I guess, cause it feels like they're the most, uh, they're the spot that they're, he's linked to the most right now. And it seems yeah. like that's, uh, on the, the most likely outcome. Um, but we'll work through all of them and especially some kind of out of left field ones as well, but let, <laughs> okay. let, let's start with the ducks. Um, where do you, where, where do you want to take this one? You, you can uh, talk about players. They should be targeting um, yeah. a, a, any which way you want to take it. So, okay. So here's the, here's the situation with the ducks. I think that a lot of people pick up Sabres fans, look at the ducks and go, I need to get one of Zegris or Drysdale. It's more specifically Zegris um, yeah. or it's a complete failure. I'm not there. Uh, I think you can build a package from the Ducks without those two guys in it. But that means it's going to cost the Ducks more. So from people I've talked to, it seems like the Ducks are would prefer not to include Zegers or Drysdale. Maybe that's a situation now the Sabres are trying to push on them to get one of them out of there. Uh, I, I think this trade is definitely going, if it happens to Anaheim, it's definitely going to include third overall. Um, 
it seems like people I talked to that Max Comtois is probably going to be a part of it, but I wouldn't say the hundred percent. Um, so there, those are your main two pieces there. And then it's what you build behind there. Um, you know, I wrote an article today where I kind of, I broke it down into tiers, tier one, tier two, tier three from tier one is Zegris, Drysdale, third overall, you pick one of those. I'll say third overall tier two then becomes Comtois, um, you know, Gibson, Sam, um, Steele, Jones. I, I think speaking of, of picking the wrong players, I think Steele and Jones are kind of the two, uh, I guess you can say the landmines in here. Uh, those are the mm. two players I would try to avoid, but I could see the Sabres having interest in those guys. And that kind of scares me. Right. Um, and then your third tier is, you know, you got a prospect, uh, Jacob Perot, Lucas Dostal, um, Jackson Lacombe, Henry Thrun, um, or, you know, any other, one of those prospects you pick right. one of those guys, and then you kind of have your package. Uh, I think the wild card in here is John Gibson and all of this. It doesn't make sense, especially for the Ducks more, but even the Sabres, they're rebuilding why they would do that. But Adams, from my information, has been after him for about a year. Uh, and his name, Gibson, has been involved in these talks. Now, I don't know if that means he'll be in this deal, but they've had conversations about it. And it's just, it's interesting because if they do get Gibson, then that gives the idea that they're going to try to turn this around quickly. Where from an Anaheim standpoint, I don't understand why they would do that unless they know they have another goalie in their back pocket that could send as a free agent. Maybe it's Freddie Anderson comes back to Anaheim. I don't know, but... I don't get it from Anaheim's perspective why they would do it, but you know his his name is is there still. Yeah, that's tough to reconcile because you figure if you're acquiring Jack Oakley, you're going to at least try to compete for a playoff spot next season, right. and you'd figure the roadmap to that would involve John Gibson being what he was before the previous two seasons in terms of his performance. Now, I've also seen people say like, oh, to, to help make the money work, you can throw in Gibson as a cap dump. And I know his past two seasons, the numbers aren't good, even if you're, whether you're looking at the raw save percentage or the goal save above expected. Yep. I think there's a lot going on there because in each of those two seasons, he started off remarkably well and looked great. I feel like as the year went along, you could kind of like feel his soul being ripped out of his body, playing behind this dreadful team. Yeah. And, I mean, looking at it the last two years, um, when I looked yesterday on Evolving Hockey site, he's faced the third most, third highest shot quality against in all situations yeah. in the last two years. But yeah. You just get tired. And like you said, just it gets exhausting and just sucks us a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he does have six years left on his deal. It's at 6.4 million, which isn't uh, outrageously high for his age, 28 through 33 years. Um, yeah. It, it, it doesn't really seem to make sense if you're the Sabres, unless you are trying to turn this thing around quickly or potentially flipping him to a team that'll give yeah. you future assets, uh, whether it would be an Edmonton or a Carolina or, or, or someone like that. So that would be interesting, but yeah, I, I would think that if you were identifying a goalie and I, I'm not necessarily sure why you necessarily would in a trade like this, but I, I think like Lucas Dostal makes a lot more sense in terms of the timelines for the two teams. Sure. Um, so I would be going that route. I, I really can't comprehend a scenario where the Ducks would give up Zegras in this trade. I understand you need to give up something really good to get a, a player of Jack Eichel's caliber. I just think that would be a very negligent move on Bob Murray's part, but you're right. I think he seems very desperate to get the Ducks at least relevant again. And that makes him a good GM to be targeting for trades like this, because if there's anyone that's going to push in a bunch of future chips to get a player that can help them, right now it seems like it would be them so yeah i think you certainly have to get at least one of those premium assets i'm not even sure that beyond zegras that third overall or drysdale would be enough on its own but if you're lumping them together with a bunch of other stuff like you said then then it does become interesting yeah i mean quickly before we get off the ducks i mean if you want to talk about negligent i i put it on on twitter yesterday and i'll clarify myself again today if i'm running the ducks I'm nowhere near this trade, but like, oh, it just, I don't think it lines up with the timeline. I, I think it sets them off to be the Sabres West. I mean, they're just, you're, you're going to trade key assets, even if it's Gibson and Comtois off your team, and you're going to have guys like Raquel and Mason and Lindholm all on one year deals. And, you know, you're going to give away a third overall pick and just, it smells exactly like the Sabres situation all over again. I, I think it's dangerous. I think if you're not giving away Zegers or Drysdale, 
uh, I can talk myself into it. I, I do think the question of what the ultimate end game is in terms of where it's going to get you is a very fair one because like this ducks team was really, really bad last year. I, yeah. I watching the games, I honestly thought they were pro- maybe the most hapless team I watched all year. Uh, 41.2% goal share, just slightly better than the Sabres who lost 18 games in a row, by the way, <laughs> a 45% expected goal share. Like they were really, really bad. And yeah, if you get Jack Heichel, you add him, you hope to get better goalie performance. You, uh, you know, some, some of these young guys do develop. You can certainly see a path, especially in that weak division of theirs next year, but it just, it's, it's very risky for me in terms of if you're going to just move in all of your future assets that you would need to surround a Jack Eichel to do so now seems like you're really not lining up your timelines in terms of trying to actually strike a competitive window. So it's a, it's, it's a big issue. Um, but it, like I said, if you can make it happen without giving away your two best young players, then that's something you certainly have to entertain. For sure. Absolutely. Um, all right. I'll give you my, uh, my favorite one. Cause I, I, yeah, the ducks one is just so strange to me. I, I, I keep coming back to the hurricanes here. Yeah. Yes. Um, first off, they have so many forward prospects to choose from. If you're the Sabres, uh, you know, I, I do think that Seth Jarvis would be the gem there, but whether it's Ryan Suzuki or Patrick Pistola or Jack Drury or Dominic Bach or Jameson Reese, like they have just, they've done such a good job of drafting and stockpiling assets mm-hmm. over the past couple of years that you can get a number of those guys to go along with a first or, or what have you, you can help um, make it happen by potentially taking on Jay Gardner's uh, contract with, I think two years left at four point something per or whatever, and kind of help yep. make the money work in that regard. I think, What's interesting here from the Canes perspective for me is if you get a Jack Eichel, all of a sudden, you know, you've got Ajo down the, down the middle already. You've got stall for two more years. You've got Trocek next year as well. Uh, you, you can really experiment there. I, I just think it does such a, uh, a, it gives them, I guess, such a massive room to um, elevate their ceiling as a team that I think it's something you certainly have to entertain and it seems like they have the pieces to do fo- do so so I'm, I'm kind of curious it, it seems like at least from the reputable sources they haven't really been they haven't caught on too much traction in terms of like being linked to this trade which which strikes me as odd but it seems like the pieces for both sides would make a lot of sense yeah for sure you know it's it, <laughs> it really would set carolina up to finally make that run or get over that hump in that conference um they could say, I mean, they would be maybe one of the best center groups on the middle in the league uh, if they add Eichel. Now, the question is, um, especially coming from an owner who just had a money, uh, maybe a battle in a way with the head coach um, who just won the Jack Adams Award, does the owner want to pay a $10 million player? Um, what is, where does Dougie Hamilton come into this then if they acquire Eichel? Is he definitely out the door? Do they want him back? Um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of assets like you said, Jarvis. Um, you know, they can include their first round pick, but then it's a late first round pick. So then what else do the Sabres right. want? Do they want a roster player too? You know, is that a Warren Fogel? Is is that an HS or you know, somebody else off that roster too? And does Carolina want to do that? Um, but it really feels like Carolina has to do something because it's like they're kind of like stuck in the mud here and they're just spinning their wheels. They keep getting to the same spot in, in the playoffs and can't get over the hump. So they have to do something here. Um so that, well, that's, I think, the interesting part with, with Carolina. Yeah, I think packaging together a number of those uh, prospects and in, in sort of consolidating it into one massive piece like like Eichel makes a lot of sense. Um, yep. I forgot to mention on the Ducks, because you just brought it up in terms of how like late Carolina's theoretical first-round pick would be. If I was making a trade with the Ducks for Eichel here, I would be trying to get future firsts. Oh, about the as 2022 well. first round pick as well. Yes, that, because I think you could easily talk them into being like, oh, you're gonna get Jack Eichel, you're gonna be good next year. Don't worry about it. And yes. I I I just beyond the I mean, who knows what his neck's gonna be like, but also uh I'm not sure even a, a healthy Jack Eichel makes that team actually very good considering all the pieces that would be around him. So that would yep. be we don't really see NHL teams make those like it seems like more of an NBA thing when you see these superstar trades where you're like, all right, we're gonna get you know, your 2023, 2025, 2027, and 2029 first rounders. And then all these yeah. pick swaps in the other years, but yeah. that would be a trade that I would be very interested. But I, 
who knows if there's an appetite to do so if you're the Sabres, because that's not something that necessarily helps you sell tickets next season. Yeah. Your, your, your big return isn't here. Like, Oh, we're going to get it next year. Like, yeah, that's tough sell. It is. I, I think, I think the hurricanes I was looking at it. I think what would be appealing for them here as well is, is they really, because of the way a lot of their contracts are structured, like pretty much everyone comes off the books within the next two or three years. Mm-hmm. So if they wanted to, I think they could potentially even retain Dougie, bring in Jack Eichel. If they got off of Jake Gardner's contract and maybe one more, uh, and that would obviously sweeten the pot for, for the Sabres in terms of the assets they were getting back, but then they could like get creative with like maybe bridging such or something like that and making all the money work where you can retain all of these massive pieces for the next couple of years and really just try to win a cup over the next three seasons and then figure it out after that. So I don't think the, the money in the contract for Eichel is necessarily prohibitive in terms of like, all right, we're going to add Jack Eichel, but then we're going to have to bleed all these other assets over the next two years. Yeah. For the other thing about Carolina too, I, I coming from a Sabres perspective, um, you know, if I'm Kevin Adams, I want one of those pieces off your blue line. They'd be willing to move Pesci, you know, but if they're going to make a run, do they want to do that? Cause yeah, I mean, they have their prospects too, but like we said, you're getting a late first round pick. So I want a roster player that's going to hurt, especially if Michael's staying in the East and that's report. Even Friedman mentioned the teams in the Eastern conference kind of have figured out, well, it's going to cost more for us to acquire him than it would for the ducks. Cause he's out there out West. So that's why I think, you know, is Carolina willing to give up, you know, a defenseman like Pesci that the Sabres might have interest in um, you know, that can be their new top guy um, for their situation moving forward. I mean, I get it. In a, in a way, I also think if you're the Sabres, you really need, just need to worry about improving your own team over in, in terms of like the East West thing. I get that it's embarrassing having to to see him play against you, especially with some good team for a bunch yeah. of times every season. Like I, I understand from a PR perspective, it's kind of a nightmare, but the only way that they're going to fix this from a PR perspective is by having a good team for once. And so sure. they should just worry about having, getting the best players they can for themselves. The only and, way I would increase the price tag, it would be an in-division team like Boston or Montreal. Right. Then I would make it more expensive for you, but Carolina, Columbus, even, you know, the Rangers, I would just because I'm spiteful. I, I would make the Rangers more expensive, but same thing. Like I really only, only your division. I think I would make them pay more, but just, you know, take it kind of in a way, taking the East completely out of it. Right. I think might not be the best approach either. Okay. So we, we've done ducks and the canes here. I think um, who's next on your list in terms of most interesting fits slash teams that should be in on this. Well, I, I think we have to talk about Columbus, right? Cause they're the team that's next can most connected besides the ducks here. I mean, I, I, I can't figure out a trade that makes sense, but yet here they are continually connected along with the ducks. It's it's hard to figure out. I mean, I get it. They're going to trade Seth Jones. They have three first round picks. So they're going to have a lot of assets. Right. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, where it, does that get you? Yeah. It, it's the same thing that falls into the tuck situation is you get Eichel, but you give up all these assets and where are you? So cool. I, I mean, I, I get it that they're trying to maybe sell a fan base in Columbus on, look, we got this guy now and he's here for five years. He can't leave us. Like everybody else appears to want to leave us. And then maybe you get some guys to stay there with you because you have Eichel. So I can get it from a Columbus standpoint, but and there's not a lot of high-end prospects there and Sabres to pick from. So I, I just don't see how it makes sense from a Sabres standpoint to deal with Columbus. Yeah, it seems like a very Sabres-y thing to, uh, to prioritize one of the two Blue Jackets goalies as like yeah. a premium piece in this trade. And if that is the case, I think that's a, a big time mistake. As much as I love Elvis, I I just think it doesn't make sense from the Sabres perspective. I, yeah. And then also, you, you know, you, you factor in, we've talked about like, so Eichel, you acquire Eichel and you do have him there for the next five years. Also his no move clause kicks in next year. And all of a sudden, if he's unhappy, then he controls and has all leverage in terms of what you're going to do yeah. with him next. And you kind of locked yourself into another nightmare. Not that, that should preclude you from trying to get good players. Like if you're a Yarmo and, and the blue jackets, you need to figure out how to get good players and keep them. Yeah. And I'm sure winning helps with that, but it's uh it would be very risky. So I, that, that would be a strange one for me, but it would be, it would be a uh, very fitting to, uh to see like him linked to all these like California teams and stuff. And then all of a sudden he's just going to Columbus. 
All right, let's go to a fun one. Yeah. I think this is this is a dark horse, really interesting idea. Colorado. So funny enough, I had this one pitched to me by our mutual friend Kevin, uh, okay. who is a great Twitter follow aside from his just truly horrendous cool coffee takes. Um, <laughs> but you got that in there. <laughs> I had to. They they are interesting to me from the perspective of. I don't necessarily see it because it just doesn't um, it doesn't make sense from how we've seen them operate over the past couple of years in terms of like how reluctant they are to take on future financial commitments and how uh, you know obsessed they are with keeping the financial flexibility that it's going to take once you know this summer they're going to have to pay Macar and Landeskog and then McKinnon and so on and yeah. so forth. Um, but the pieces are there because you know I think Newhook would certainly be. Uh, a crown jewel here and probably one of the best young players that the, the Sabres could dream of getting from any of these teams. Uh, but then you could also, you know, you could throw in potentially Connor Timmons in there. You could obviously mess around with draft picks and stuff, but I also, the, I, I like the idea of uh, acquiring the last year of Nazem Kadri's deal and flipping him to a contender and getting other assets from that as well. So, yep. uh, and to help make the money work, obviously super both teams. So I, I think, Colorado would be a fascinating one. And I love it from the perspective of having this fast skill team and falling short and just continuing to double and triple down on it by just getting as many fast skilled players as you can, if you're them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, they, they have the pieces to do it. It's just, if, you know, can they pull it off? You know, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think McKinnon said he would take a you no know, sweetheart deal again, if it meant them winning games and, you know, so that, I mean, that that's out there. I mean, we'll see when the time comes for negotiating. If that's really the case, you could just be saying that. But I, I think it, it makes sense. Again, it's a team that just can't, like Carolina, just can't get over the hump. Every year, like, oh, this is Colorado's year. This is Colorado's year. They just can never get over the hump. So, yeah, you finally go out and you've acquired all these assets, all these prospects, you know, built a young group in there. Um, and maybe this is the time they, they take that big swing. Um, and, and it would, be fascinating because that would be an absolute a healthy Eichel with McKinnon and Rontanen and Makar and, and the rest of the pieces they have built around their team would be incredible to watch. But it, it's just does Colorado, for the reasons you mentioned, want to take that big swing? And I, I don't know where Rusekic's head at if or if he's desperate enough to really make that push now. Yeah, it's tricky because it's certainly like a, I think you know different circumstances because he he was older at the time. But like when Artemi Panarin became a free agent, they made a, a pretty healthy run at him. But they were very clear about limiting the term in terms of um, you know keeping the years down and just giving him a bunch of money over the next couple of years, but keeping those years, especially when McKinnon comes up for a new contract, as clear as they can. And you know the ten million cap hit for Heiko would certainly complicate matters, but. I guess if you're them, you could potentially hope that, you know, three years down the line, let's say maybe the cap does finally start to go up a little bit, or you can figure it out after, I mean, heck, if you win a cup between now and then, uh, I'm sure you take that as an outcome if you're them. So yeah, I, that would probably be the most fun outcome, I think mm -hmm. uh, for both sides, because I think Buffalo could probably get the best combination of young players from Colorado in a sure. trade like that. And obviously seeing him in that system and the, with the talent around him would be really fun uh, from an entertainment perspective. So I like that one. I like that one a lot. Um, I got a couple others here. I think okay. the wild are interesting to me because they so desperately need help down the middle and it would make sense. And they do have some young pieces to, to make it happen. Mm -hmm. I was looking I at thought their, about them a lot. And their cap sheet is an absolute nightmare. Yeah, in the Kaprizov situation, I wonder if that how much that changes for them. That they well, have to figure out what's going to happen there. Like if he goes back to Russia, like uh, I mean, they also said I don't think that's going to happen. But I don't I, think it is either. But here's the thing: I think they have that out. six. They have six players with six plus million dollar cap hits mm -hmm. moving forward, and it doesn't include their three best forwards who they have to sign this summer. Yes. Yeah. So, are, are you going to get Parise to wave to go to Buffalo? Like, I don't know. I mean, the interesting part for me in a Minnesota trade is you take Matt Dumba back and flip him to somebody for more assets. Yeah, I that think would, that would, that would, that would almost have or to happen. Even Brodeen potentially. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, no, that'd be, that, that would be very interesting. Uh, and certainly like he's, I mean, Jack Eichel's going to make every team that he goes to better, but like, they're one of the few teams here where, you know, all of our concerns about the ducks and the blue jackets in terms of, okay, you acquire them. And then what, like yeah. the wild do have can make this trade, assuming they can make the money work with while still having like a defensive system, but also Absolutely. talent on the wing around him. So it's not just starting from scratch with Jack Eichel and nothing else. So that's part yeah. of what's interesting to me, especially after watching Kaprizov just lug around Victor Askall season as his number one center. <laughs> like just right. the idea of like, all right, now we have Jack Eichel and Joel Erickson Eck as our top two centers. Like that's pretty awesome. I think that will take you pretty far if you're a team. So yeah. that's all of a sudden very interesting to me. Yeah, definitely. And It'll, it'll be interesting who, I mean, the, the main prospect coming back would have to be one of Boldy or Rossi. It'd be interesting who mm-hmm. the Sabres would prefer. I mean, cause that this was a team that just passed on Rossi. And then right. also that COVID condition too. I, I wonder how they see that. I mean, I think he'll recover and be fine, but you know, the Sabres medical team also scares me um, to put players around who might have some sort of medical situation. So they might lean Boldy, which is fine. Um, I think Boldy is a great prospect too. And then if, you know, you can get Dumbo and flip them a first round pick and, um, you know, Caitlin Addison's a guy I've thought about out of there too, um, as a defense prospect, and they have some more pieces there too. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I think Minnesota is definitely an interesting team and a dark horse, but I'm surprised they're not connected a little bit more, um, from right. the main people. And even myself, I haven't heard a lot about Minnesota, um, but you know, they can play the, the quiet game too. Well, yeah, I think, I think wild fans have certainly been eyeing this for a while. Um, but yeah, it seems like they have a lot of, uh, stuff internally to figure out this, this off season in terms of the mm-hmm. contracts they are going to give out. It's interesting. We've, we've mentioned a bunch of teams. We haven't really talked about the Kings and the Rangers yet who seemed like out of the gate would be the two obvious landing spots. And, you know, probably at the top of his own personal list in terms of where he'd prefer to go. Right. Um, and I'm not sure how much to buy into all the reports about the Kings reportedly looking elsewhere and identifying something else. And, whether that's just a leverage player, whether it's actually true, because they, even if you don't include Byfield, they have so many similar to the Canes. They have such a, a wealth of forward prospects that um, you could put together a very, uh, you know, tantalizing package for the Sabres without including your best forward prospect there. And, and from the Rangers perspective, I think there's certainly, you know, their front office shakeup, uh, as the season ended uh, indicates that they're going to be looking to be pretty aggressive here. They seem like a very natural landing spot. And mm-hmm. I wonder, it, it seems like they're going to be at least, you know, wishfully looking from afar and waiting to see what happens with Sasha Barkov as he enters the last year of his deal here. Uh, but I don't think that necessarily precludes them from going after both players or at least keeping the door open for it just because of the way, uh, you know, their salaries are structured right now and how much money they have coming off the books after the season and all that. So, yeah, I don't know. Do you think either of those two teams, I mean, obviously they make sense because they've been linked to him, but it seems like once this started, they were the obvious ones. And then as the life cycle of these rumors has gone along, they've kind of faded to the background a little bit. Yeah. So LA is tough because they make a ton of sense, but Everybody I've asked, and I know a few Kings people tell me that, yeah, they've heard the same thing as, as John. I've even talked to John too over in the mayor about it, and he's, he's adamant. Yeah, I mean, that they're not interested in Michael. They have other plans. Um, one of those other plans, I, I think, does include Sam Reinhart. Um, so I don't think they're out of Sabres, you know, guys completely. But I don't know. Like, <laughs> the part of me is like, I, I, I just, I don't want to buy it. But everybody asks, keeps telling me, no, they're not in it. And the main guys aren't saying that they're in it really. I mean, some of saying that they're lying, but I don't know if the Kings pull this off, it'll be one of the great heists. I, I think <laughs> until team has pulled off how they fooled everybody and do it. So I, I guess for now though, I'll say that, yeah, it seems like LA is out of it. And then it seems like things have cooled with the Rangers. There's just no talk and it's not even from insiders. I mean, this is New York city for God's sakes. And you're not even hearing the New York reporters really talk about it. So that's why I think with the GM change there with Drury, it's not so much that he wouldn't be interested in Eichel. Um, I just think Drury has other plans, um, you know, and maybe they maybe they just realize they don't either want to pay or give up the guys it would cost to get Eichel. So they've already, in a sense, I'm sure they've checked in, um, but they may have moved on already hearing what the price tag would be and what it would cost them to acquire him. Yeah, that would make sense. I was blown away seeing the recent uh 
you know, gaining of steam for the Chicago Blackhawks to be part of this. Like, I, I just, I don't get it. I don't know how they could do it. Uh, From a cap perspective, I mean, I guess if like, I guess Taves maybe if you feel like Cage isn't going to come back. Yeah. Right. But even like the assets, it's Doc and 11, first round, yeah. first round pick. And then what else, what else you got for me there? You know? Well, I think that would be, I mean, I, I like Herbie Doc a lot. I think that would be very interesting if you're the Sabres. For sure. Um, but again, it gets to the same point, the same conversation of Anaheim and Columbus. Okay, you just traded your young second line center. What do you have there now? Like Dylan Strom, is, is that going to be the guy who's going to be behind Eichel? Like, I mean, it'd be interesting from a story perspective that, you know, those guys went one and three, but, or I'm sorry, two and three, but hmm. I, I just, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> that, that team is just not that good. You know, it's really just Patrick Kane, and that becomes a one-line team. Are you going to play Kane and Michael together? That'll be electric. But what about the rest of your team? It, it's, you know, the Sabre situation we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. What, is, what about the other 40 minutes of the game? What's going to happen? You know, I think you'll just, you'll get crushed. The goaltending situation is up in the air. The blue line there is up in the air, too. Yeah, they have some young pieces there, but still, it's just, there's just... Too much up in the air. And I get it. It's Chicago. So maybe they kind of feel like they have to get involved. But I, I just can't really figure out a realistic trade that makes sense for the Sabres um, at, at this point. Yeah. What about the Knights? How, how are you feeling about that? Because yeah. I keep coming back to them as like, if there's one team that's going to find a way to make it work, it's going to be them. But I think it depends if they can get by Montreal or not. Um, I think if they fall short to Montreal, they'll be more apt to make a run um adam but if they get to the finals oh, i feel like they're so gonna much. i feel like they're the way they operate they're gonna they could win the cup and they could still just be like all right let's it's just let's does, figure does out the how salary to get... cap not exist in vegas though like for real like i know it would be i don't crazy. know how they would make I don't it know, work with the money I, I don't i don't get it either like the, the, interestingly i think they do have the assets to make an interesting they definitely do package of stuff but yeah, it would involve. Yeah, it would involve. I guess moving pieces that Buffalo would then flip to a third team. I, I, I but don't. The problem is too. They've given everyone on that team no movement clause and no trade clauses. So who's right. going to wave to go to Buffalo so they can be flipped again? Yeah, it's that's. I mean, it logically it makes sense. They have the pieces and they like to be in the big names. I mean, we've seen a Pacioretty, Petrangelo. They're even trying to get Taylor Hall the trade deadline, um, right. but at that point, Boston kind of already was was in there. So they like to chase the big names. They'll, they'll do it. It's just, I just, I can't figure out logically with the no move clause for the money guys that have to move out and just the salary cap, how they would make that work unless somebody pulls in Akita Kucherov and is hurt until the playoffs or something. Um, I, I just, I, I don't see any way, shape or form that could work. Yeah. Which is why it's going to happen. Right. <laughs> um, right. All right. I think we covered all the, all the big stuff, right? Like, was there anything else that we wanted to mention? On no, this? I think we, we covered the fun teams and yeah. potentially the boring teams and then the most logical teams too. So I think we kind of, we touched on all areas of this for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, Chad, this is a blast, man. I'm glad we got to do this. Um, I'm really curious to see what's going to happen here. It does feel like it's going to happen sooner rather than later. So I'm glad that we got to, uh, got to do this while we still could um, plug some stuff. What, uh, what are you working on? Where can people check out your work? Give us all that good stuff. Yeah, so um, Expected Buffalo is my site, expectedbuffalo.com. Um, you know, right now we are, well, I, because uh, the guy I work with is, well, he's coming back soon. He just had a new baby, so he, I made him go on baby hiatus until the beginning of July, but he'll be, Anthony will be back soon. Um, so we'll get in some free agency stuff. You know, we'll be all over the Eichel stuff. You know, Eichel content seems to be a big seller right now for the right. people, so we'll keep pushing that out because people are eating it up. Uh, until that happens, and then it moves to Reinhardt and Ristolainen, um, and then kind of where this team... that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think something we didn't touch on, which is funny. I don't want to go backwards now, but we really didn't talk about that. There's a team out there that's trying to get Eichel and Ristolainen, and the hilarity of Eichel being traded but has to take the big guy with them is pretty funny. Oh my god! <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Anyways, that, that's where you can find me. Spencer Buffalo.com um, at CMD Minutes on Twitter. I won't spell it. I'm sure Dimitri will tag me so you can. Yes. Yeah, back. we'll do that. And we'll have you back on definitely. Maybe uh, maybe after that, trade does happen, we'll do like a, a mini emergency breakdown or something like that. For um, sure. So, okay, oh, we didn't is... miss that aspect with the wrist alignment. That's pretty funny. 
That is pretty fun. All right, man. This was a blast. Uh, we will check in with you sometime soon. Uh, enjoy this little calm before the storm. I'm sure it's going to be a busy off season. And I'm looking forward to covering with you down the road. All right, man. Thanks. I appreciate it. Cheers. Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.